You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin by calling in the spirits to join us here today. So I call out to your ancestors... And to mine and to our guest here today, I call out to those ancestors, all those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines, those who lived well and died well, those on whose shoulders we stand, I call out to you to be with us here today and in particular, I call out to those ancestors who lived through an end time, a time of great chaos and great transition and hopefully a time of transformation. And I call out to those of you who lived through these times that have been before and will be again. And I call out to you to come to join us here today because we are living in one of those times, a time of great change and transition and hopefully transformation. So I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today to gather around and hold us well that we might come to understand what is going on around us and what is the possibility in that experience and how can we participate skillfully in those possibilities and co-create the future that we are all dreaming of so we called out to the ancestors oh and they they're here (laughs) the chaos of the end times is upon us today it's a good sign i called out to those ancestors and everything went haywire okay nonetheless as with those ancestors we live here on the earth and we need to ground down into the earth No matter what is happening, no matter what is going on, we are here on this planet and this is our home and we have no way of being here in a good way other than to ground down into the earth. And so we do that now, reaching our energy down from our hearts into our bellies and our bellies through our feet and into the earth all the way to the very center of the earth. And we send to the earth our great thanks and gratitude for life, for the incredible beauty of life here on earth and all of its great tragedy and its ecstasy. We call out to the earth to hear us, to be with us here today and to bring to us the wisdom of manifestation that we might be here in a good way, not only for ourselves and for all other living things, but for those who are coming. So we give thanks to the earth for grounding and home and belonging. We give thanks to the earth for the hearth fire and the space to welcome others into our lives. We give thanks to the earth for connection and the interconnection of all living things. We give thanks to the earth for home and for life. And with our bodies and our beings grounded into the earth, with our great gratitude for this day and the miracle of life, we reach up from our bellies to our hearts to our minds and out, all the way through all the layers of the sky, all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call that power, it matters not. But by whatever name you call that power, call it down into yourself into your day, and into our proceedings here. We call down the energy of the sky, the highest realms, to bring us blessing, 
to bring us the energy of protection that we might focus on what we are here to do in this day and not have to tend the boundaries at all times and all moments. So we call out to this energy above to bring us the generosity and benevolence of this universe and of this life. And we call out to this energy above that we might find in this day the mentors that we need, the champions for our causes, and the ability to go on and do what has not yet been done, because that is our calling. So we call out to the energy above, and we draw it down into our bodies so it can meet the energy of the earth and dance that dance of the Tao, the big love from which all life as we understand it in form is born. So as the energy of the earth and sky mixes within you to the exact perfect blend for you here today, let that energy infuse the space of your heart, and we call out now to the energy and the spirit of the heart. We call out to the heart to be that which the heart can be uniquely. Unlike all other aspects of the body, energy or physical, the heart is the crucible that allows the fiery passions of the belly to merge with the crystal clarity of the mind and to come together without destroying either to birth a third thing, that is your knowing of why you are here. And may the heart give you the courage today to live that gift and to bring it into the world. So with the spirits gathered round, the ancestors around us, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart beating here in the center of all, I give thanks. May what needs to be said be said, and what needs to be heard be heard, and may all of these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I want to give thanks to those of you that make the show happen. That is you listeners who are willing and able to donate to the show. I give thanks to Nate and to Deborah and to Barbette and to all of the listeners who have donated since the last show. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, that means it's moving you in the heart. And that's all right if it moves you into irritation. That is fine as well. But if you are moved in the heart, allow your heart to move you into action. And I ask you to please do something to help the the show to grow stronger. Whether you donate or simply share the show, whether you link our site in your website, whether you respond in some way in that um, cyber community we all get to be citizens of now, whether we want to be or not. Whatever it is that you do, I give thanks for that. But the most important thing is to understand this fundamental energy of shamanism, which is to allow yourself to be moved in the heart and to let that movement in the heart move you into action in your life. This is what the shamans mean when they say that all true power is mediated in the heart. So for those of you that don't know how to do that and want to donate and are not sure how, you can go to the whyshamanismnow.com website. I know there's been a little confusion the last few months or last few weeks because there was a problem with co-creators archives. But everybody needs to know that you can find these shows archived everywhere. So you can find them on cocreatornetwork.com. You can find them on iTunes, and you can find them on the show's site, whyshamanismnow.com. And they're archived all over the place and free everywhere. So uh, for those of you like, who would like to continue having these shows for free, you are welcome to donate at the whyshamanismnow.com site. You can click on the support button and donate. If you are um, not inclined to pay over the internet, that is perfectly fine. You are welcome to send your hard-earned dollars or rubles or euros or whatever to me uh, directly. And you can do that by emailing me at christina at lastmask center.org and I would be happy to give you my mailing address. Um, 
So I also want to give thanks today for um, the Society of Shamanic Practitioners because this show is being sponsored by the Society and we give thanks for their continuing support. If you would like to find out more about the Society of Shamanic Practitioners and some of you need to because some of your questions are beautiful and complex enough that you simply need to be members of the Society of Shamanic Practitioner so you can get the journal and begin to see some of the... um, teachings that are out there of different people practicing today that would answer your questions far more fully than I possibly could do in an hour on the internet radio. So you can find the society at um, shamansociety.org and become a member there and you'll receive the journal which comes out uh, biannually and I happen to be a co-editor on So without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest today who is Richard Whiteley. So um, our show topic today is Global Dismemberment Through the Shaman's Eyes. And this is a show to respond to many emails that I'm getting that basically ask what the hell is going on out there. And, I, you know, I get it. It's big. And I don't focus globally um, as every day. I am very much a one-on-one practitioner and focus on my clients and my students. So it's not a great big global perspective. And so I have asked Richard to join us here today because he has, and for many, many decades has had, a great big global perspective. Um, So uh, Richard is also the author of The Corporate Shaman. And I heard a little... um, interview of Richard years ago the book came out in 2002 which is like forever ago now right Um, on New Dimensions Um, and he was being interviewed and it was really a delightful um, inspired expression of shamanism in corporate America back in 2002 so that was you know a decade ago Um, so with that book Richard also um, has written three other books in business and these are all award-winning books in the regular old business world Um, he has um, been five been awarded five top honors among those three books and all of these books are um, focused on customer-centered business and um, another big topic of Richard's is finding joy in your work in other words whether Richard ever found out about shamanism or not, his work has always been about doing work in the world from a shamanic consciousness. And as you know, this is right up our alley. So Business Week describes Richard as a Harvard Business School-educated, best-selling author and management consultant who moonlights as an urban shaman, (laughs) which I really like that quote. Um, As a successful businessman, Richard co-founded the Forum Corporation. This is back in the olden days, um, which is a large global business training consulting firm. Today, Richard's expertise is available through the Whiteley Group, Um, and he also teaches um, at business schools across the country. So, if you haven't figured this out already, Richard is an award-winning leader and consultant and a dynamic presenter. He earned his BA from Wesleyan and MBA from Harvard and served in the U.S. Navy for three and a half years. And he has studied with medicine people for the past 18 years. Richard has a healing practice in Boston, which is based on his study and practice of shamanism. And his work has included power animal retrievals and soul retrievals for individuals and organizations. And um, if you go out there in the land of the internet and Google corporate shaman, you will see lots of people that talk about doing corporate shamanism. But 
it just isn't exactly what it's billed to be. And one of the, the reasons that I asked Richard to be on the show is because what he is talking about is truly uh, the innovative emerging of, of shamanism, of true shamanism out there in corporate America. So because Richard is an example of someone who actually approaches his contemporary life from a shamanic perspective, he continues to grow and evolve personally. And in that vein, I'd also like to point out that he has recently performed as a percussionist and vocalist on a new CD entitled Shaman Heart. And um, in addition, with his three sons, so somehow in the midst of doing all of these wonderful things, he's also got kids. Imagine that. What a guy. <laughs> anyway, he and his sons have also created a drumming CD for Shamanic Journey. So you can reach Richard at Richard at Whiteley Group, and that's W-H-I-T-E-L-E-Y group.com. And you can find him in cyberspace at whiteleygroup.com. Um, so we are live this week. For those of you who are interested in calling in, you can call us, call in on the normal number, 512-772-1938 or Skype from the co-creatornetwork.com site. Or you are welcome to email me at Christina at LastMassCenter.com and we'd be happy to bring you on the program. Richard, welcome. Well, hi, Christina. How are you? I am doing great. How are you today? I'm just wonderful. Now, Richard, tell us where you are physically on the planet here. I'm in a, a small town called Wabin. It's in Massachusetts and about uh, eight miles west of Boston. Wonderful. Now we, now people can put you here on the planet as they listen to you instead of just putting you in cyberspace. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you so much for joining us here today. And before we launch into this really big topic of the day, I've just gone through your bio, and we both know that it doesn't really contain the most juiciest bit. And that bit would be this. As you look back on your life and have now, of course, the clarity of hindsight, what is the pivotal event, looking back now, that really brought you into shamanism? Well, I I think shamanism brought me into shamanism. And what I mean by that is um, I I felt a calling um, and... I had been doing a fair amount of personal growth work, and I was in a retreat in Arizona and had realized that uh, I needed kind of a new archetype to uh, to progress further in the work that I was doing in my life and wasn't sure what that really was. And I had attended Michael Harner's uh, workshop, The Way of the Shaman, a weekend in New York. And while I found that interesting, it wasn't compelling, but I was in this workshop in in Arizona, and I was working in a period of silence and fasting, and I was working with clay and with my hands, and all of a sudden I wasn't doing the work. It just was being done through me, and I fashioned a shaman. So I, <laughs> I was pretty blatant and uh, sensitive fellow that I am. I said, well, okay, that seems to be what's what's up here, and, uh, and after that I said, okay, and I, I committed and really just started working and, and learning and and going to workshops and reading and and meeting with various people. So that was really the the kind of the, the turning event right right there at that moment. Do you still have that little clay shaman on your altar somewhere? Absolutely. That's exactly yeah. where it is. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, so uh, I invited Richard to the show today um, to help me discuss the world. The world is a really big topic, and I don't get out much. So I wanted to bring in someone who actually regularly focuses on that larger scale of life. Um, 
So I keep getting these emails from people saying, basically, what's happening? Um, we see this severe weather, colossal oil spills, species die off. We see illness, obesity, rising incidence of mental illness and coping disorders. We see corruption and an unfathomable void of ethics in banking, politics, and religions around the world. We see riots and anger and hopelessness in our communities. So what is going on? What what does the shaman see when the shaman looks out at that in the world? Well, we've uh, kind of chatted about this a little bit, and, and uh, what I see is this whole idea of dismemberment, and uh, which which really is a kind of I don't know whether it's a, it's it's unique to the shaman world, but it's certainly a really important concept and and activity. Uh, and what really that is is things basically fall apart. They are dismembered, and in the shaman world, when that happens, uh, literally, when when we're on a journey and and a dis- it happens to be a dismemberment journey, whether that's planned or spontaneous, uh, we are in one form or another dismembered. That is, we are just uh, torn apart, or it sounds pretty gruesome, but it really, it really isn't. When you're in a altered state, it's just, oh well, look at what's happening here. <laughs> uh, and I really think that's what's happening in the world today: is that uh, we are going through a global dismemberment. And as we head towards 2012, you know, there's a lot of speculation about the Mayan calendar and what's going to be happening there. I think this is a this is a turning point at which at which we might pull out of it. Uh, that's my my optimistic viewpoint. I think there's some evidence that we that might happen, uh, but that's what I really see is is, is we're going through a, a global dismemberment, and these kinds of painful things are happening. And one of the things that happens in a dismemberment is the structures and functions that provide you confidence, that provide you a sense of control, that provide you a sense of structure. Are, are disintegrating, and that's leaving us uh, with with uh, a void. And the things that we've been been able to rely on, which is so important to we who are human beings, uh, are disappearing or are failing. And then it really begs the question: Then uh, on whom or what can we rely now? And that's the open question. Well, and in a shamanic dismemberment, of course, when the person experiencing this comes to that question within themselves, it's a it's a initiatory moment where the person either reaches forward into their relationship with spirit and and answers that question in that way. You know, on whom will I rely now? I will rely on my relationship with spirit and forges that. Um, uh, relationship that is so critical to that person coming out of this dismemberment experience and and functioning as a shaman. So the question then is, if the if the global body being dismembered is humanity on the planet, you know, how 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 do we, you know, who will we rely on now? Will we will we reach back and try to go back or? Or do we go forward? And is there any back even to reach into it? I mean, how, to what degree do we have to have those old structures dismembered before we are forced to reach forward into something new? Because there's nothing to reach back to. Well, I, I, the, the, my view on that would be that we, we really can't go back. Uh, we, we may try, but <clears throat> and we may we may turn and look and and think about the old days. <laughs> 
but they're gone, and we have to reinvent, and we have to create new structures. And I think uh, that that really starts with ourselves. We have to look within and say, okay, what can I rely on? And I think you said it is, is our relationship with spirit and our relationship with ourselves. Uh, that that's really, really has to start. I mean, in my experience, when I've done dismemberment journeys, uh, uh, and, and as I've discussed them with others, I've never, never heard of or seen an experience where someone has gone back to what they were at the beginning of the journey. There's always a transformation. And what it actually is, uh, is about gaining power. It's about, it's about coming through that process uh, and, and gaining power. So uh, I, I really don't think it, there's an opportunity to go back. There is well, that's a relief. <laughs> go ahead. I say that's a relief. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine the frustration of trying to go back. And why would we want to go back? I mean, isn't it pretty clear that what what we have basically relied on, say, in the last five to ten years, isn't working now? I mean, um, look at look at look at what's happening. The things we're relying on institutions. We're relying on institutions like government, business, religions, and education. Um, compare compare those institutions today with maybe five ten years ago, and I, I think if you, if it wouldn't take much investigation before you'd realize that. They're, they're not as strong as they were. Or look at the systems that we relied on. Healthcare, Social Security, immigration, um, very much in the press these days. They're, they're, they're kind of up in the air. Look at, look at what's happening with Social Security. Um, look at our leaders, the leaders that, that gave us clarity and hope and, and leadership um, in, the, in the business world, the political world, the religious world. Um, there's some question there. And then, of course, we look at technology and how it dramatically affects our lives. We have instant reporting, don't we? So that the nuclear breakdown in Japan, we, 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 we get that instantly. Um, we might actually participate uh, vicariously in a firefight in Afghanistan. Be right there as it's happening. And, and what the effect this has on us is that it, it, it moves it from somewhere over there, oh yes, that we hear about later, to somewhere right next to us instantaneously. Um, and then this whole idea of technology putting us in contact that is 24-7 with our work. Oh, um, now that, that, that line between work and, and non-work or work at home is blurred, and the time is indistinct. We, uh, we work in our home, we work in our cars, we work at movies. The other day I was in a restroom and, and I thought I was alone and all of a sudden I heard someone speaking and they were in the stall. Uh, <laughs> I know. It's gotten, it's gotten extreme. It, it, just this morning, ironically, I read an article that said two out of three employees gets an email from his or her boss every weekend and it, one out of those two is expected to respond on the weekend. Wow. And then, of course, now lay onto that, if you want to talk about business, challenging economic times at work. So we're having these layoffs and the, the extraordinary trauma of the layoff, not only for the people who have been laid off, but for the survivors and this, the whole idea of survivor's guilt. Then we have the, the increased workload as a result of that. When was the last time you heard an executive say, well, we just sadly had to reduce our workforce by 10%, so we are going to lower our earnings expectations this year by a commensurate 10%. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. 
they're going to actually increase the earnings expectations. And so what happens here is because the first to go in a downsizing are the middle managers. So what's going to happen here and what is happening is that we have greater spans of control for the managers, not the frontline people, and it's not the leaders who get get put on the street first. So what happens is, uh, with greater spans of control, it's a question of who's not going to get led or managed at the precise time that we need those leaders and managers to to paint the new picture, to create enthusiasm and optimism for the future, to hold hands, and to uh, provide training so people can reinvent themselves. Well, because my my experience, whether we're talking about work or not, is that if people aren't given a new way, they will do the old way, just out of default. I mean, they don't know what else to do. Right. Um, the the impact of this. Um, can I speak a moment just for the impact of this? Mm-hmm. It, 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 a couple of years ago, I read an article, and it said that in the United States, we had lost $150 billion, $150 billion of productivity to stress-induced absenteeism. That is more than the combined profitability of the Fortune 500 companies. Hmm. And it also shows up as on-the-job behavior. And I'm going to give you some statistics here uh, uh, that I'm going to rattle off pretty quickly if I might. Mm -hmm. But this is what's happening uh, on the job. 80% of the people feel stress on the job. 48% sometimes uh, have too many unreasonable deadlines and are too much work to do. 42% sometimes rarely or never have adequate control or input over their work duties. 75% believe they have more on-the-job stress than a year ago. 26% said they were burned out by their work. 25% felt like shouting or screaming because of job stress. 29% Hmm. 29% had yelled at a coworker because of workplace stress. 62% routinely find that they end the day with work-related neck pain. 44% reported stress, stressed-out eyes. 38% complained of hurting hands. 34% reported difficulty sleeping because they were stressed out. 50% need help learning to manage stress. And 40%, 42% said their coworkers need such help. Now, I'm not a pessimist. I'm just reporting. And if this isn't dismemberment, I don't know what dismemberment would look like. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the greatest challenge I see if I think about um, that question of, you know, where do we turn to for the new structures and for the support or even from the, the well, the support that we need to move through a transition because transitions in and of themselves are stressful. You know, where do where do people turn with all of that? Well, in our country, they turn to alcohol and drugs and, you know, I mean, we don't turn to spirit culturally, unfortunately. No, we don't. And, and there's a very disturbing trend to where people are turning and, and they're turning into violence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, 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 the rioting is becoming a form of social communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and which is like... Just at the peak of frustration, it means that every other form of communication has not succeeded at that point. That's right. Yeah. Michael yeah. Bloomberg just said the other day, the mayor of New York City, that, that he, he warned us yesterday, I'm reading an article here, that the national, jobs, the national jobs crisis doesn't end soon. The United States would see riots in the streets. And that was affirmed by a, a, 
uh, MIT professor that mm-hmm. says we're kind of overdue here. Mm-hmm. Well, boy, that would be a whole nother show, wouldn't it, if we went off in that direction to talk about <laughs> the shamanic implications there. Yeah. Um, you know, we've we've I've been looking as we've been talking at some of the questions I've gotten from listeners, and there's one that's kind of interesting here because we've kind of covered most of them. So we're talking about dismemberment, and we're talking about how people are falling apart, how how institutions are falling apart. Well, how everything's falling apart, frankly. Um, <laughs> and and one listener asks, so what role do negative people, in her estimation, like the Tea Party, have to do with this transition? Um, she says that she's struggling to see them as anything as other than demonic, <laughs> and she can't send love to a demon. But she was sort of joking there, but the point is there's there are also rising up in this, you know, sort of like the disembodied rise of a riot, th- that people are rising up and, and taking on these roles that are um, further divisive, further dismantling, further dismembering in a sense. And, and you know, what, what role are they playing in this process? Well, I think that uh, there, there's, there's two ways out here that in general and one is misery and the other one is is models and misery simply is this is when we're miserable enough finally we're going to act finally we're just going to we're going to throw our hands up and say business as usual is not working and i am so miserable i'm going to i'm going to have to act now i i struggle with my weight i have all my life and when 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 my pants get so tight that it's it's uncomfortable and and when i i can't button that shirt around my neck then uh i I, you know in in a small micro form here i get miserable and i finally say okay i've got to go on a diet i've got to i've got to get control here and so i mean we're painting a picture of misery here that's what this dismemberment situation looks like um we're maybe not there yet now, dismemberment is kind of an old term. Rememberment is a very new contemporary term. And the problem I have with rememberment is that if I've just been dismembered, I don't want to be remembered. I don't want to remember who I was. I want to put, be put back together again in an entirely new way. So I personally, you know, as you know, listeners, I have my own little soapboxes. This is one of my soapboxes. I think that this is a a a a moment where we've we've picked the turn of the phrase to go from dismemberment to rememberment without thinking about what that really means. And I think the important thing, especially now as we talk about dismemberment on this scale, is that we don't want to remember. We want to go forward and create anew. On the other hand, these days in shamanism, the thing that happens after dismemberment is now being called rememberment, um, which I've just given my little sidebar as why I think that that's personally problematic. But the point is, after your dismemberment, you want to be reorganized around a new organizing principle. You don't want to remember and organize around that, but actually jump to a new organizing principle and be organized around that as you come back together again and you're reconstituted in a sense. Um, I'm not sure what happened to Richard. Um, So what I do know, though, from the conversations that we have 
had, uh, that Richard and I have had, is that he personally feels optimistic, that he does see seeds of change in business. And when we get him back here, we'll have him um, talk about what those seeds are. Um, But this is part of the point. So if we're looking at dismemberment on a global scale, and we're looking at what, for those that have, um, well, at the moment you acknowledge it's dismembered, you've been dismembered enough. Okay, so for those of us that recognize the dismemberment and accept and are letting go of the old, we are at a place where we could begin to go forward in a new way. At the same time, there are people in the middle where the dismemberment process is still happening. And even further than that, we have people that are not yet willing to even acknowledge that anything is wrong and anything is even falling apart and are still busily trying to bail the boat with the holes in it. Um, So I'm going to go back now to Richard and we're going to talk about this idea of of rememberment. And um, Richard, are you there? Oh, we don't have Richard back. Okay. So with this act of remembering, we now need to to look at at then what are those of us who are on the forefront of the wave who have accepted the dismemberment everything has fallen apart we're going to go forward with shamanism what do we do and then there is the middle that is still in many ways things are still falling apart and then there's that back end where they don't even want to acknowledge that okay so um, the question from the listener here is, can we use journey techniques in a corporate setting to discern what employees and others are being remembered into? And how do we give them access to spirit in a way that they will believe the information they are being given? And how do we illustrate the gifts in dismemberment? Well, this is part of the problem that um, I would say at the moment is we are in some, in a, some senses – relative to these questions the listener is asking, we are too late in a sense that, that, that there is um, – it's very hard to convince someone to believe in something entirely new in the midst of their crisis. And so in many ways, I think that we're moving out of more of a one-on-one shamanic healing idea and moving more into – what um, we, we're now t- starting to talk about collectively is shamanic tending, where we're not looking specifically as to how do we help this employee um, discern this so much as how do we hold the energies so that the energies um, move in their dynamic together and, and begin to be directed forward in a way that is good for all living things. And then deal with whatever the fallout is on that in our own lives. Because what is good for all living things may not be exactly best for me personally. Sounds like uh, Richard back. Are you there? Oh, maybe not. Okay, so so for those of you that are really interested in this, I would suggest that you get the Society of Shamanic Practitioners book that has just come out out on shamanism without border and and then think about what they're talking about there in the principles for that work in this context in the context of the globe 
and in the context of a global dismemberment and in the context of how are we going to use our shamanic skills to help to shape that path forward. Now, with that said, you know, there are people whose lives are very much the same as they have always been because they are continuing to live in traditional ways. Now, what is going on in the environment is, of course, affecting them because it is affecting all of us. But there are people right now who are who, who exactly what their elders told them is going to happen is happening and they know what is going on and they're just moving with it as they always have been. You know, the people who are experiencing the dismemberment are the people that have gotten on the West is, you know, point out the fact that there are other people living in the world quite happily right now as they have for a very long time and that we can do the same. We can find a way to live happily. Um, so that is one thing I want to point out. Just because we as Western thinking people are going through this enormous global dismemberment, it doesn't really mean everybody on the globe is, um, although everybody on the globe is being affected by the economics. So how do we deal with this whole issue of remembermint? And what I'd like to do is to share a poem here. Um, that I don't do often, uh, but I would like to share this poem. So, because here's the deal: we can re recan, recreate a new version of reality that is a more conscious version of exactly what we had before, or we can co-create, not recreate, but co-create a new version of reality that is actually different. And remember that the current version of reality, the one that is being dismembered is the one, uh, or the one that's dismembering itself, frankly, is fundamentally unsustainable. And I don't really want to rebuild another future that is somewhat more conscious, but remains fundamentally unsustainable. What I want to co-create, me personally, what I want to get involved in co-creating is something new, is a way to go forward that embraces the environment, the peoples of the world, the technology, that will or won't still be working and the uh, psychological technology that we have so that it embraces all that we have and go forward in a way that is fundamentally sustainable and based on sharing a principle of being fundamentally sustainable, what does business then look like? What does um, Social Security then look like? What uh, Or does it even exist any longer? What do these things look like if we go forward in a fundamentally sustainable way? And so the, the point here that is really important as we start talking about rememberment and this, especially this listener's uh, very compassionate email, you know, how do we help these people? Well, this is the thing we need to understand is that we can remember a more conscious version of precisely this and it will still be unsustainable. Or we can co-create with spirit something we can't even potentially even imagine right now, but based on what we know is necessary that it be fundamentally sustainable. So I just want to share this poem called Advice by Bill Holm from his book, The Dead Get By With Everything. Um, so advice someone dancing inside of us has learned only a few steps the do your work in 4-4 four, four time and the what do you expect waltz and he hasn't noticed yet the woman standing away from the lamp the one with black eyes who knows the rumba 
and the strange steps in jumpy rhythms from the mountains of Bulgaria. If they dance together, something unexpected will happen. If they don't, the next world will be a lot like this one. If they dance together, something unexpected will happen. If they don't, the next world will be a lot like this one. So if we go to the listener's question, how do we give them access to spirit in a way that they believe in the information they will be given? I don't know if you can in the middle of someone's crisis, but we can. Those who already know to dance with the strange woman with the dark eyes and the funny rhythms from the mountains of Bulgaria. Those who already trust spirit need to lead. And this is one of the, one of the several things we're going to talk about going forward here is leading. And that those who have forged a relationship with spirit, those who have accepted that we must dance with the woman with the dark eyes, and that that is our only path forward if we want to create, co-create something new for something unexpected to happen. Because otherwise, all of our best efforts will create the next world that would be a lot like this one. So I think that the point here in answer to your question is it's not about giving them something they haven't had a chance to build yet for themselves, but that we need to step forward and lead and that we need to do this in a way that is respectful and um, honoring of all living things. But nonetheless, it's too late to do certain things. We simply have to come out of the closet and lead. And how do we illustrate the gifts in dismemberment is the last part of this question. Um, after the fact, <laughs> I think in the midst of dismemberment, it's very hard to understand why it's a good thing that my liver has just been eaten by a bear. But once I get the crystal put back in my liver and have a magic liver and I'm back in my life feeling how I'm no longer so reactive to anger, then I'm able to look back at my dismemberment and see the gift. I think that we need to be understand, well, I think that we need to focus on what we can create, which is to tend the energies, to hold the space, to hold these huge dynamic tensions right now and, and ask for spirit's help in doing that and to lead. So anyway, I'm, I'm carrying on here. Are you here, Richard? I'm here, yeah. Fabulous. I, I, I Something mysterious is going on here, that's for sure. Yeah. We're the Ken and I aren't sure what's going on, but could I just jump in here for a second? Absolutely. <laughs> and I apologize to your listeners. We just technology, you know, there there it is. But um I I have, I had mentioned misery and, and I don't want to I don't want to end on misery. I want to talk about the model. Right. <laughs> because the question is uh I was talking about losing weight and the model for me then would be that this the slimmer uh, uh, Richard, but uh, there are three, and I focus so I can focus on business a little bit. There are really three three models. One is how we how we operate our, our companies. What's the business model? Another one is what's the organizational model, and the end, of course, is who are the models as leaders. And I said at the beginning, I, I have a little hope for optimism here because I'm really seeing some good things happening. There's a wonderful book called Firms of Endearment. Terms of Endearment. I would highly recommend that to any of your listeners. And basically what and researchers uh, was to 
rather than just focus on stakeholders, uh, shareholders, they focus on the stakeholders. So when you focus just on shareholders, it all becomes about money. And when it becomes about money, then greed's right around the corner. So when you focus on shareholders, and they have a uh, the word SPICE, which stands for suppliers, partners, investors, customers, employees, and environment. And they did research and found companies that, that focused on all of these six elements rather than just the shareholders. And they did research to find and isolate them and then look at their financial performance. And the companies that really performed well on the SPICE dimension outperform the companies that just focus on their shareholders by a factor of nine to one. In other words, companies that care about their supplier relationships, that care about their employees, that care about the environment, will actually, the act of that caring, will actually have greater profitability. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of businesses themselves and organizations, there are some just wonderful examples that, that are out there. That you know, the, the problem is is is, is a spectacular negative organizations in all the press. But if you really look, you'll find stories like the Container Store. The Container Store is industry leading in virtually every dimension you can imagine. In fact, the average, their average turnover is about it's less than ten percent. Whereas in their industry, believe it or not, the turnover is over 100%. Uh, and as a result, they are generating, the, uh, in terms of hard economic results, extraordinary uh, numbers. Um, so when we talk about models, in terms of business models, there's, there are some new ways of thinking. And the the uh, this book, Firms of Endearment, has given rise to a new way of thinking it's called conscious capitalism and one of the things that conscious capitalism people are doing is putting together workshops for CEOs in organizations to teach them really how to run their own companies differently differently than we ever have rather than just focusing on short term earnings so I really see some, some wonderful opportunity there then we get to leaders I just wrote an article about this and kind of looked at, uh, I, I, I turn leadership about, oh, 90 degrees. Just to take a, let's take a different look at it. Tracy Goss, who's an author and consultant, I think it's a wonderful quote. Today's business leaders are reinventing everything but themselves. Unless executives realize that they must change not just what they do, of who they are, not just their sense of task, but their sense of themselves, they will fail. Um, are we there? Are you here? Yes. Good. Okay. So in, in this article, I, I said, let's take a look at what what's this reinventing might look like. And there, are, I think there are six areas that leaders can really make a difference where they really haven't paid much attention in the past. Number one, is I say use cultural moments of truth. Cultural moment of truth is simply when you have a crisis, when you have an important decision, um, if you look at how an organization handles that decision, you'll learn about their culture. It'll be a moment of truth for the culture. If you want to build an organization that 
does well by its customers, does well by the environment, does well by its people, then look at where the crises are and see how they deal with them. I have some examples, but I don't think we really have time to go into them. The second one is for the leader is to be present, not just to walk around kind of like the Pope in the car with the, with the bulletproof shield and waving to the crowd, and so not walking through the plant like that, but to really be present. Um, not just to listen, but to be present. The third one is to tell the truth. People really want the truth, even if the news is grim. And more importantly, to hear the truth. And truth hearing is something that uh, people are really, really need in organizations. And we still don't see enough of that. That is the leader who is willing to, to hear the unvarnished truth about what's happening in his or her organization. And when, when we can get to that place, then people are willing to step up and tell the truth and without fear of discrimination or punishment. That's a healthy organization. The next one is tell stories. And uh, Anne Mulcahy and Derek said, you've got to be able to communicate the story to your people. And again, we talked about how dislocated people feel. They don't know where, where what, what to rely on. It's the job of the leader to look at the environment, look at the organization, determine where they're going, and and create the story, create, create the story for the people in the organization so that they have a sense of belonging, they have a sense of what the structure is and how they're going to get there. They have a, and what this provides is at one level holds it at the other level. Enthusiasm. Another one is be a healer. The leader is healer is a new archetype, but I think it's a really important one. As an example, uh, John Chambers, who's the CEO of Cisco Systems, a while back was named one of the Fortune's top managers and leaders in the country. And he was, on 2020, uh, interviewed by Diane Sawyer. And he was talking about the situation in a previous job where he had to lay off or, or pull the trigger on, on that decision, 5,000 people. And as she questioned him about, she said, what was that like for you? He virtually started crying. And here he was on national television. He was just kind of captain of industry, welling up with tears in his eyes. He said in this report, he said, it just about killed me. That's the kind of compassion that we want to see in our leaders. And then the last one, the sixth, is lead yourself. Bill George, who uh, turned around the company Medtronics and is a Harvard business professor, said, the hardest person to lead is yourself. And the Center for Public Leadership, uh, which trains at Harvard and, and trains public leaders focuses on three things in this agenda. One is conflict management. The second one is listening. And the third one, self-knowledge. So I think that, that um, these are not traditional things you hear when you go to a course on leadership. But what I'm seeing is lead, the, the models for leaders are emerging. And when you look at what they're doing, they're doing these more... One of these kinds of things, things that 
or you might consider to be soft. But uh, they're really not. So, Richard, well, we didn't have you on the line because this is this is um, what I'm hearing is is another way of looking at what I was saying, and and, and that is that the answers here to I mean we're talking about a global dismemberment, and so in many ways the answers to guiding the process of things coming back together are global are more global than we as shamanic practitioners tend to think because we tend to think kind of one-on-one and so let me read this um listeners questions to you and and give given the context of what you've just said to see how you might answer that because it really does seem to me that you know we are talking about a global dismemberment and while this does involve humans we have to somehow focus on it globally anyway um and, and as you're saying, changing on a corporate level and a business level and our, changing our entire idea of what it means to be a good leader. Um, so the, this listener says, um, can we use journey technique in a corporate setting to discern what employees and others are being remembered into? How do we give them access to spirit in a way that they will believe the information they are being given? Is that is that where we want to focus our our sort of shamanic awareness, or or are we, do we want to be focusing it somewhere else? Uh, I, I don't think it's an either or question. First of all, and I think it it, it is absolutely uh, possible and would be wonderful if we could start moving that into organizations. Uh, I've I've worked with organizations where I've. Uh, taught a number of people to, to journey uh, where I've uh, helped them retrieve power animals for a project, for a division, or for the entire organization. I actually am uh, on a board of advisors for one company where I've taught everybody on the board of advisors how to journey. And uh, when we have a, a, a board meeting and we run into a tricky or testy decision or issue, often we'll just stop the meeting, <laughs> lie down on the floor, put on our blindfolds and I'll do the drumming and we will all journey on the thing, on the issue, on whatever the issue is. And each of us will journey to our power animal and, or whoever, and, and, uh, and come back with the uh, recommendations or insights or advice. And it's, as you would imagine, it's always stunning and it's always, um, brilliant. And it always, creates a shift that's positive. Um, you know, I, I think there's, there's huge application here. Um, we had a situation in a company not too far from here where their chief financial officer was uh, perished in one of the planes that crashed into the towers in 9-11. The, a year later, they had a um, memorial service for him and... Uh, I was invited to help out and was able to do a soul retrieval for 500 people, half of whom were in the room. So I, I really do think that there's terrific application uh, for... I, I really don't think they're, they're that far apart, the shamanic mm-hmm. work we do in business. I've, I've said in the book that I wrote, Love the Work You're With, was originally going to be retitled Respiriting Work. 
the publisher was uneasy with the word spirit. Um, I've said all along, that if we can re-spirit business, we can re-spirit the world. Now, appreciate the author of that statement. I'm a business person. I'm an entrepreneur. And I went to business school. And that's my media. But business is global. Business does have power. Business does have fun, does have money. Business does have a universal language. It happens to be numbers, but it is a way of communicating. Um, business is adaptable and flexible much more quickly than government or uh, other institutions. So I, I think there's a real case to be made here that uh, if your listeners have an opportunity to do work with business leaders, if, if, if you can affect the business leader, you can affect the business because that leader will not be the same in that leadership position. But there are there are indeed opportunities here. So, Richard, in some of the other information that you shared with me about leadership, um, one of the things that came to you from Spirit was um, that in the in the current current and dismembering system that people are experiencing that leaders are in a position where they're out of balance um, uh, with too much external energy focus, pressure, and not enough internal. And the spirits, um, you asked, what did the spirits mean by internal? And the answer that you shared was their own sense of and belief in self and their matching of the internal and external person. Now, do you have any sense of the, I don't know, leadership development, for lack of a better word, going on right now, beginning to focus in that direction? Yeah, um, yes. Uh, that's why when we looked at the, uh, the, the, the group at Harvard for public uh, leadership, self-awareness was, was actually one of, the, one of the three core aspects of what they examined. Um, there's, this, there's this saying, you can't give away what you don't own. So I think we as practitioners um, really have to start with ourselves, and that's exactly what the leader has to do, too. If, if I'm really going to be an effective—it didn't used to be that way. If you're going to be an effective leader today, um, you really have to start by looking—doing the inner work. That can be very threatening for some yeah. many leaders. Well, there's a Taoistic there's a Taoistic principle that you cannot lead where you have not followed. Yes. Um, in this article, I, I had about a two paragraph final word. Do we have time for me to share it with you? Sure. We're going to go just a little bit longer because um, because we had a little problems. Do so go right ahead and take the time that you need. <laughs> we had those blackouts. Okay. <laughs> well. Um, so I said, some, some may find these practices a little soft or new agey. It would be pretty easy to write off, be present, be a healer, or lead yourself as good for tree huggers, but not for real leaders. Executive coach Shayla Roberts asserts that for many of her clients, such bravado, when closely examined, turns out to be kind of a subconscious smokescreen that makes the executive's true fear of embarking on the on the inner sorry that masks the executive's true fear of embarking on the inner journey. That said, one might be silent, sincerely wondering, how about good old goal setting, tracking the numbers, 
or leading by example like Teddy Roosevelt charging up San Juan Hill. Isn't that the way we get results in business? The answer is yes and no. At Forum, that was my company, at Forum, we determined through our best practices research that the so-called soft practices, like knowing the capabilities of every member on your team, listening to others' opinions, providing positive feedback to employees, had a higher correlation with success than the more traditional hard practices, such as setting aggressive goals, tracking progress against them, and creating strategy. William Peace presented a similar conclusion in his classic Harvard Business Review article, The Hard Work of Being a Soft Manager, in which he states soft qualities like openness and sensitivity are as critical to success as harder qualities like charisma, aggressiveness, and always being right. In other words, in today's complex leadership environment, soft has become hard. So, Richard, I want to uh, thank you for that and share a little bit more here from your um, working with Spirit about leaders. Because our part of the question here, since I am more likely to be helping someone who's a leader in business than being a leader in business myself at the moment, as far as I can see, but who knows if things are really going to change. <laughs> who knows? Um, but you did ask Spirit, how can we help them? So how can we help? those people in leadership positions to, to, to find a way to have the, the soft become hard? How, how, how do we support them in that? How do we essentially lead them to become better leaders? And your answer from spirit was um, ask, them, ask them their intention as a leader. Ask them to account for their own behavior as it supports or undermines such intention. If undermined, ask them to discover and embrace the why without defensiveness and with compassion. And ask them to note the negative aberration and release or work with it. And then ask them to start this process by loving themselves unconditionally. And so it it really does take us back to what we all now, I think generally refer to as personal work. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, so, I, I, go ahead. No, go ahead. No. <laughs> and so, go ahead. I'm just, I'm just wondering, why is it, do you think, with all the statistics about how um, – being, being conscious of the whole system, not just profits, is actually more profitable. With all those statistics, why do you think that it's taken so long for personal work to make it into this place in business when it actually it has been proven to be profitable? And theoretically, that's what people are making their decisions on. Why, why do you think it's taken so long? Well, because I think lots of times um, marginal performance is rewarded um, and and people accept mediocre performance uh, and and not risk uh, doing uh, changing something that is familiar to them that is getting okay results but not terrific results um, it's it's safe and there hasn't been a lot of whistleblowing on 
uh, and, and truth-telling around the actual performance of of executives. I mean, you, you could you could just see the bonuses that are paid when when the companies haven't performed well. It's ridiculous. Well, you know what, Richard? As much as I don't like that answer, I sure am relieved to hear you say it. <laughs> it's like the thing about the truth. You may not like the truth, but it sure is nice to hear it. Um, so, Richard, what what else would you say here today um, with this audience of people who are somewhat in business? Um, these people are new to shamanism. Some are practitioners. Some are actually people precisely like you who are in their everyday job in America and also have studied shamanism. So what would you say to them today um, in, in closing as we look forward? You know, we're in this state of dismemberment and look forward towards co-creating a, a, a future together. Um, I, I would say as you, as you focus on yourself, I said you can't give away what you don't own. Um, my experience has been, and I think this is this is uh, might be helpful. Is that uh, so a kind of a check for your for, for yourself to see where you are? That I found that I can't do the work unless five conditions exist. And the first condition is that I have to let go of my ego. Uh, I, I I can't. You know, the ego looks like yeah, I'm the shaman. What do you need? Um, that's number one. Number two, I have to let go of my need to control. I have to just enter this process and let it go where it needs to go without me trying to micromanage or control it. The third one is I have to detach from outcomes. I cannot be invested in an outcome. Um, and that, that shows up for me two two ways. One is I always say to people when I'm working with them at the beginning, I say, if there's something that I say that doesn't make sense to you or something you don't want to do, uh, you don't have to do it. Just tell me. Um, for example, if you were to, to say, Richard, this stuff doesn't make any sense to me and get up and walk out right now, it wouldn't bother me because that's what the truth is. Uh, I'm not selling this. I'm not attached to whether you accept it or not because this is not about me. It's about you. That's one kind of not being attached. The other kind of not being attached is I really can't be attached to whether the individual I'm working with is healed or not. That's a hard one. But that person's life journey, uh, it may be that not being healed now is the most critical part for that individual. The the, uh, fourth one is absolute trust in the spirits that we're working with. Um, and for many, what that may may mean is uh, intuition. Just just turning yourself over and, and totally trusting what the spirits are saying, even when you don't understand them, even when you might have a different point of view. And the last one, and I think a very important one, is have a certain amount of lightness and joy as you do the work. Once it starts burdening you, then, then something's amiss, something's wrong, it's time for a checkup. I think those five conditions for me need to be fully in play and exist for me to be the most effective that I can be. So for those of you that have called in and said, what is going on in the world, Um, help, and why does this bother me so much, take 
take Richard's five uh, principles here to heart. And also we always need to remember that those things around us that bother us so much are a gift and that they are showing us the same that is going on inside of us in a different way. And so that is another thing to be aware of as we watch the world dismembering around us is to attend to that within ourselves and to understand that we, we are part of this whole process and we are being dismembered along with it. And that um, tending, tending to that in a good way is also a gift that we can give to the world. So, Richard, I want to thank you for joining us here today and um, thank the Spirits of Chaos for joining us here today. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, may we all learn to dance well with them because they're not going away anytime soon. Um, So for those of you that want to reach Richard and continue um, or ask questions or connect with him about this, you can email him at richard at whitely, W-H-I-T-E-L-E-Y, group.com and you can find his books and information about him at whitelygroup.com in cyberspace we want to give thanks again to the ssp for joining us the society of shamanic practitioners and they are at shamansociety.org and of course we are at lastmasscenter.org if you want to look for the classes that are coming up for the winter and the spring new new series are beginning and of course archives of the show are at why shamanism uh, whyshamanismnow.com So Richard, thank you very much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. And thanks to your ancestors for dreaming you into existence that you might be here to help us understand how to uh, bring shamanism into not just our play life but our work life as well. Thank you. So I give thanks to the ancestors for being with us here today, for the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. I give thanks to Co-Creator Network and for Ken's tireless fingers flying across the technology today to figure out where the hell we went and why we weren't on this live on the air. And I want to give thanks to all of you that donate to the show and keep it happening. And for those of you that want to do long-distance healing or connect with me, you know that you need to go to lastmasscenter.org. Thank you all. Have a great week.